to our December Empower panel. My name is Sarah Weston. I am the founder and executive director of 911 Wonder Women. We do these Empower panels every month. And our goal and our intention behind them is to bring women together from diverse backgrounds, um, diverse ways of thinking, to talk about issues in 911 that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about and just kind of bring them to light, share our experiences with you. For those of you who are watching live, you can chime in in the comments anytime, um, joining the conversation, ask, ask questions as we go, and I will make it as interactive as possible. I want to give a huge thank you and shout out to our partners at Datamark for making this possible and free for everyone to join. Additionally, oh, hey, Cindy. Oh, we're international, y'all. <laughs> Let's go. Um, see, this is why I don't read comments. I just completely, <laughs> completely, completely go, go on. Yeah, squirrel. <laughs> yes. Um, but additionally, we also started a YouTube channel. And the whole point behind the YouTube channel is we're posting all of our Empower panels that we've done in one place. So you don't have to come to Crowdcast. You can go over to YouTube. And all of them are there. I think starting we started um, back in June. So I'll just collect them, put them there. And yeah, that's what they'll be. So without further ado, I am going, we're going to go around the table and have our awesome panelists introduce each other. And we were just like fangirling super hard here before we got started. <laughs> so it's really, really great to, to all be together, even if it is virtual right now. So today we're talking about change and we're talking about change, making change, how to make change, how to deal with change. And I was super inspired by a couple of things to do this panel. One was um, Andreas King. Uh, Andreas King. Yes. One was, <laughs> I've been watching The Crown, so it must be in my head. <laughs> One was Andrea King's presentation that you did for a 9 Wonder Woman workshop last month on being a champion for change that I just really inspired me. And then one was being in Cobb County at Melissa Center and hearing one of her employees talk about how he was able to make a change working within the center and being a champion for, for his idea and um, presenting things you know, in a professional way that benefited everyone. So um, change is possible. I know we all have kind of our thoughts and anxiety surrounding change. So we're gonna go around the, the horn, introduce ourselves, and I'm going to ask each of you to say the first phrase or word that comes to mind when you hear the word change. And also in the comments, if you guys want to chime in as well and let us know what you think of. So, Anne, let's start with you. Hi, everybody. I'm Anne Camaro. I'm the executive director at Neshoba Valley Regional Dispatch. Um, I've only been with this agency for about, for almost a year now. It'll be a year on uh, December 20th. But um, before here, I was in Cambridge and before then in two other agencies. So I've been doing this for a little while. Um, first thing that comes to mind when I hear the word change is hard. It's hard work. It's hard to accept. It's hard to do. Um, I am Andrea King-Smith. I am a customer success manager 
with Carbine 911. Um, previous to that, I worked for 14 years in 911 myself at the Las Vegas Metro Police Department. Um, been with, gone from the 911 Center for about a year now, um, and still in everyone's 911 Center now as I get to do these things and connect with the uh, um, public safety industry all across the country. Um, but changes. Managing change is so important to me, so I'm really excited to be here. And the first word that comes to my mind when I think about change is mindset, because in order to change anything, you have to change your mindset. That's a good one. I like it. So good. Thank so you. good. <laughs> Melanie. Good afternoon. I am Melanie Jones. I am the executive director at Guilford Metro 911 here in Greensboro, North Carolina been the director here for seven years. I've been in public safety for 34 years um, in the 911 industry for 23 of those. And uh, my word when I think of change is accountable because everybody has to be accountable for change. Mm -hmm. oh, so good. I love all of those these. are all good ones. I like that. Yes. yes. Melissa, well, I am Melissa, I'm Melissa Alterio. I'm the director at Cobb County Department of Emergency Communications here in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I am um, on my 32nd year. Next year, we'll start 33 years um, in 911. I started when I was 10. I try, you know, I've been using that line for like the last five years. Nobody's I just five, heard it. Nobody's, nobody's laughing anymore. I don't know what to do with that. Um, I was like, wait a minute, Melissa. Rewind. I was like, rewind. <laughs> All right, um, but yes, all of those years were spent in 911, and I, I am very proud of the fact that I worked my way up from telecommunicator, frontline telecommunicator, to director of the third largest 911 center in the state of Georgia. Um, so, what one word that comes to mind when I think of change is opportunity. I don't like I don't like the word change. I like to say opportunity. We have an opportunity. Well, you and Drew are on the same wavelength because he said opportunity as well. Oh, look at that. I wasn't copying Drew, I promise. But <laughs> great minds think alike. Well, that, I love how those are all very different, but um, very thought provoking. And um, some of the ones from, from the audience, inevitable. Good one, Joyce. <laughs> Joyce, Joyce is visiting me. She's sitting on my patio right now. Um, <laughs> Brett says impactful. Yes. Yes. Action. Changes action. Yeah. Oh, these are all really, really good. Oh, there she is. <laughs> and Jenny. And Jenny. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it is a party. Okay. It is a party. A party of the 911 Wonder Woman headquarters. Yes, the world headquarters. <laughs> what you can't see over here is like there's a guest bed because, yes, I live in Orlando. We get a lot of guests. <laughs> um, yes, okay, that was that was awesome. That was a great start. Um, I think what we're gonna what we're gonna start out with is I'm gonna ask about changes in the center, and you know we can we can go probably talk all day about that, but. There's so many things that are changing right now. And I think one of the things that um, helps is recalling a time that you've gone through change, how we've handled it, how we've come out and we've survived it. So um, these are four leaders in 911 who have you know, come up through public safety, long, awesome careers. Tell 
us about a time when either as a leader or when you were on the front line um, that you identified a change that needed to be made and, and how you went about it or someone came to you with the change that needed to be made and, and how you handled that. So anyone can start. I'll go first. So, um, when I was promoted back in 2010 to the operations manager's role um, here at Guilford Metro 911, the the former operations manager had been in place um, and with the city of Greensboro for 30 years. And so when we consolidated in 2007, she was promoted to the operations manager over the consolidated center. So it was dealing with city and county employees um, coming under one roof. But there was a lot that was not being held accountable and everybody talked about it, but nothing was done. It was continued behaviors. So at the time when I got promoted, I had decided that those were the things that I was going to change. I was going to hold people accountable for the complaints that I've been hearing for the past three years. So I actually met with each team. We have four teams here and went into their lineup and said, I recognize as a supervisor and now the operations manager, this has been going on. It's not going to continue. And I'm just putting it out front that, you know, my manager role here is not going to allow that. You're going to be held accountable for what you're doing and what you're not doing. And I want everybody to get on board. Um, eventually, I ended up losing a seven-year employee and a 14-year employee. And um, in one of the dismissal hearings, the seven-year employee said, I've been doing it this way for seven years, and it's always been okay, and I'm not changing. Then okay. So, you know, sometimes you have to stick to your guns because I, I literally don't think he believed me when when I said, you get on the same page, but it's tough, but you got to do what's right. How did you handle it when you got blowback? So you're trying to make this change. You're trying to hold people accountable. You're like, oh, we're losing these two folks. And wow, maybe in the long run, it was a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that wasn't easy for you. No, one of the issues, um, one of the particular issues was smoke breaks. And so this particular employee, he was going out seven, eight times a day and staying out 10, 15 minutes. And he had been doing that. And so the people that don't smoke, they're like, well, hey, how about me getting 15 minute break seven times a day? And so I said, you just can't do this anymore. And so when we first met with him, like he was given five opportunities up the corrective action ladder to fix this and he just would not do it. And so I said, I recognize that you've been allowed to do this, but you're not allowed to do this anymore. You know, we have to have a reasonable amount of time that you can take a smoke break, not seven times a day. And he just did not want to get on the, did not want to get on that train. So we ended up having to let him go. So, so I like that distinction. You didn't just tell him, you don't get that many smoke breaks. You said, this is, this is what's allowable. This is what happens if you don't adhere to it. So like setting those parameters, making that clear for everyone kind of walks them through the change or I guess out the door if they don't want to adhere. Correct. Correct. Okay. I think that's important. I like how Alicia said, sometimes addition is by subtraction. And I was going to say, um, you know, sometimes those problems resolve themselves. Those barriers to change resolve themselves. And it's by way of 
moving themselves out of the way. And it sounds like that's what happened there. But I think, Sarah, what you said is exactly right. You have to lay out the parameters. You have to say, show them what the new normal is after this change is implemented and help them by giving him five chances. You know, Melanie and her team helped him try to get on board with that new change. And, you know, ultimately, and, and you know, unfortunately, he wasn't able to adapt the mindset to embrace that change. But um, that addition happened by subtraction. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, we had a, a similar situation here. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this, we I'm 19 months into this new role in Cobb County. And it's no, it's no secret to the folks that work here um, and to some of my colleagues that when I got here, they were working under a pretty toxic work environment. Um, previous leadership, and I, I'm going to say this with all respect to the previous leadership, and I've said this all along, and I think this is also important coming in as a new leader, regardless of what the previous leader has done or not done, it's still important for you to show respect to the previous management. I just want to state that. And I stand by the fact that her and I just had different leadership styles. Um, and that's okay. There's something wrong with that. But the leadership style that was um, occurring just did not fit this organization or this um, this industry. Okay. So when, when I got in, I knew that there were um, several issues that needed to be worked out operationally and um, socially, if, if you will, right? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, yeah. with, with the people. So I met with every single person. Well, let me rephrase that. I offered to meet with everybody one-on-one. -on -one. I didn't mandate it. I didn't want to do that. And, and luckily, as people were coming in and, you know, were how word of mouth goes, and the more people were like, hey, she's pretty cool, you know, <laughs> she's got some really great ideas or it's an open, safe space. And that was really important. As people came in, I assured them right away that this is a psychologically safe environment. You are free to say anything. Um, and But before, to make you feel a little comfortable, let me tell you a little bit about my leadership vision. And let me give you a little bit about my background, because not everybody knew anything. They didn't really know a whole lot about me. Um, and so I, I think it's important for us to establish a leadership vision, number one, before you can implement any kind of change. And I, in fact, did not really like the word change. I like the word opportunity, and I also like the word correction, because everything that we've done here in the last 19 months hasn't been change per se as much as it's been correcting things. Mm -hmm. So part of the reason why I was hired was because of my background and being an industry subject matter expert. So when I came in and some things were being done um, that was not the best course of operation, we'll say, for the community, uh, we made some corrections and we got some pushback on that because just like Melanie said, you know, we've been doing it this way for years. Well, just because you've been doing it this way for years and you've been engrossed in just this, this center doesn't mean that that's how the industry is doing it. It doesn't mean that that's the industry best practice, best practice, or it doesn't meet the industry standards nowadays. So I, it was important to share that vision with everybody. But the second thing that wasn't happening here was the supervisor team was not being supported. The supervisors were not trained appropriately. They, they were just promoted and, and left to be on their own devices and mm -hmm. because they were micromanaged so much. So they were like just glorified lead dispatchers. And so we, we reevaluated that. We changed some titles. So our um, senior supervisors' titles were changed to operations managers because they are, were actually part of that command staff structure. 
Um, we provided a lot of training. We started doing uh, supervisor workshops um, for them to, because they wanted to know what what our like how we would want it how we would make decisions so we we did some formal training and then we did a lot of informal training because the most important part that the people needed to know is the supervisors were going to be empowered and they were going to be supported um, and then the second thing is consistency so what i also shared with everybody is i could say trust me all i want but i recognize that actions speak louder than words and you're not going to trust me in a month two months three months six months i'm 19 months in and I finally feel the positive shift. And that was the other thing. So I'm a big fan of John Maxwell's book, Leadership. And he doesn't like that word change either. He talks about, he calls it shifting. So we've made some tremendous shift here. We became a values-driven organization where we're, we're constantly talking about our values, positivity, pride, integrity, teamwork, service, communication, and in just about every correspondence that we as a leadership team try and put out there has something uh, that's relative back to our values. So I, it's kind of the roundabout way in, in the talking about how we implemented the, uh, the shift um, and we adopted a people over process mindset. So we, we eliminated a, I should say, we, we edited the complaint process because it seemed like people were getting written up left and right for things that there that were human errors that mm -hmm. like not intentional not not in a negligent way you know so it was um we i sort of take took the page from steve martini's book and adopted the people over process i stole that term from him <laughs> you know so we we started some real open communication we do director town halls quarterly or whenever we need to and it just gives them an open forum to come and talk to me and air out some concerns or just get some information and that was um how we really went from a toxic organization to i'm i'm really confident now we can say that we're in a very positive organizational culture i mean sarah you experienced it when you were here yes um, and you know the excitement we we listened to people we loved the um, we loved the ideas, the individual that she was talking about, um, his name is Desmond, and he had an idea to create a morale committee. And that was an idea that he adopted from an APCO conference. So whoever had done that session, thank you, because it has really benefited our agency. And he took that idea and he just ran with it. And, you know, it has made a, a tremendous difference in the morale here. So along that 19 month process, quite a few people did not get on board. Mm -hmm. We gave them an opportunity. We will give them the benefit of the doubt, but then we're also going to hold you accountable. So consistency. And after 19 months, I really can see the trust that has been built between <clears throat> us. It's, um, I, I say, I say 19 months. I've said it since I got here. It could be anywhere between one to five years to make an organizational culture shift like that. So if, if you find yourself in that position, please do not give up. It takes mm -hmm. hard work, consistency, and open communication. So good. Oh, the whole, the whole idea of um, here? Wait, go on the patio and see our friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 I lost my train of thought. Um, immediate gratification. You know, it, it's it's the world we live in right now, and this whole shift. Um, I 
I thought, Melissa, I thought I had that book on my desk. I must have switched them out. I do have a John Maxwell book on my desk at all times. But I did, I read that, I read that book too. And shift to me, change is like, like I changed, you know, changed my shirt, changed my pants, whatever. Um, it just seems like it should be quick, right? And shifting is a different mindset, <laughs> Andrea, that um, it's kind of sets, sets the tone for people. You mentioned communication. I mean, I I spent 18 years, well, I still am, um, a, con a consultant. And once consultants walked into a 911 center, it was like people were like, thought I people thought I was coming to tell them they were fired. And I was literally going to like assess their needs. <laughs> like, what do you need to do your job better? You know, what do you need out of this technology? And, and people were like, <gasps> You're like, hi. Like, I was like, why don't people like me? <laughs> but, but really, because that communication of the shift wasn't there. And I'll throw it to you now. Um, so for me, it was a little bit of, you know, inverted situation where Melissa went from a medium-sized PSAP to a large, large PSAP. I came from a large PSAP to a smaller PSAP um, in, in, in the last year. And, uh, you know, similar to some of the things that Melissa was facing, which is great to have these connections is that you can actually like run things by them and, you know, get called out when you need to be called out. Um, <laughs> is that like, I, you know, same thing. Like I walked into a, into a center that had a very different leadership mentality before I got here, um, where the staff was not taking advantage of, opportunities that were out there for them to improve themselves, to, to grow themselves, to develop themselves. Um, I, I recently did a, one of those survey things, Clif Clifton Strengths for my CPE program. And my number one strength is learner um, and how I focus on learning. And, and, and it, it's me, it's me to a T exactly what it said. Um, and it's the, the past year has been more trying to show people that you know they don't have to feel stuck first of all they don't have to feel like there's no place for growth there's no room for growth i don't want anybody to ever sit in the seat and say i'm just a dispatcher so it's just really creating opportunities for them to develop themselves develop the, their strengths and you know that that gives me pleasure to do um, a lot of the, the the relationships between our agencies we dispatch for six different agencies um, six different communities, so 12 different agencies, um, police and fire. So um, some of the relationships were broken. Um, you know, the, the, the boards were not in communication with the staff. The, the, there wasn't a clear path of communication between my staff and, their, and the boards that govern us. And, you know, we've created opportunity for them to speak at board meetings. And, you know, I became their voice. So the changes, like I said, they're hard. They're hard work. Mm -hmm. um, but they're totally worth it, and and they're not they're not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So, my next question is: I'll start with you, Andrea, because you do a whole presentation on this. What advice, if you had to pick like one main thing, what advice would you give to somebody who's on the front line, who has an idea for change, mm -hmm. um, to to bring it up? up the ladder. And I ask this because I do a lot of presentations across the country, um, empower panels where the number one question or the number one, um, gripe, I guess that I get is, well, I have all these ideas and everyone shuts me down. 
-hmm. or I've been trying to tell them for years and years and years and no one listens to me and they just kind of like shrink back. And I know sometimes it's just a bad situation. It's a toxic Mm -hmm. situation. Leadership doesn't care what you think. Sometimes that's the case. But what are some what are some things that people can do when they have an idea to to try to get some change going in their center? Yeah, um, I, I do. I have taught about change management quite a bit over the last year. And um, in my teachings and in talking to people, I've encountered that too, Sarah, where people are like, you know, I try to implement change and people don't listen to me. We talk about um, engaging young professionals and there's a, a culture of thinking that young people in the workplace, their ideas are too ambitious or too radical. Um, just because they're a young professional. Um, and so you encounter all these things. And so my my first piece of advice is, and I say this at the end of every one of my classes that I teach about change, um, is to remember that people typically respond to change in one of four ways. They are either bystanders, victims, critics, or champions. And you can find one of all four of those types of people in the 911 center. You're probably all thinking about the people who fit those categories. Now, <laughs> right? So um, figure out what category you're in and figure out what leader you have that aligns with you that can help champion that change for you. And, um, you know, and then the next step is to demonstrate the value of it, demonstrate the importance of it. And sometimes it requires doing the hard work. Sometimes um, I was in a um, I'm in a Facebook group and for 911 professionals and a young lady was talking about um, um, their greetings, how they have to say their names. It's in their policy, they have to say their first and last names when their greeting plays, when a call comes in and she doesn't feel comfortable doing that. And um, they've had instances where like stalkers have come to the 911 center and tried to follow people on social media. And that's a real problem. And I think it probably happens more often than we think because we're so conditioned that we're public employees, our, our information has to be public. Um, and so in the conversation I was telling her, you know, have you tried to present a policy change? Have you gone through the proper procedure for drafting an amendment or a change to the policy and presented it that way? And I think that's what she ended up doing and is working on, but sometimes it requires you doing the hard work and sometimes it requires you doing the uncomfortable work. And Personally, I've experienced that. I, um, in 2020, when um, George Floyd was murdered, I, as many of us, felt a lot of things happening in our um, place of employment, in our communities. There was a lot of civil unrest. And me personally, I felt like something where I worked needed to change. I was being impacted by things that were very like microaggression type things in the workplace, just because nobody knew what to think or do. And um, as uncomfortable as it was for me, I put all of my emotions on paper and sent that up my chain of command. And it resulted in a conversation that was, again, probably very uncomfortable for the people involved. Um, But what it did was it spawned reminders to the staff that we're all experiencing something and we're all on the same team. And that brought about change, you know, inadvertently, but it brought about change in people. So you have to do the hard work and sometimes you have to do the uncomfortable work. But if you can find that champion who wants to help push that change through, then you can be effective in in bringing about change. Absolutely. So good. I'm going to, you know what, Sarah, I'm going to actually going to, because I saw your next point. I know you wrote us some little guidelines there, but 
I'm going to take what, what um, Andrea said, and I'm going to go to the next point because I, I wholeheartedly support that and champion that. And the fact that if you have the opportunity or create the opportunity, create the opportunity to make the um, the proposal and send it up your chain of command. And, and like she said, it's either, you know, it could be uncomfortable. Um, and yes, it's going to also take some vulnerability um, on your part. So, but it's worth doing. But here's, here's the other part of that that you also have to realize um, is that you may not be supported and you may be the one who's on the, the receiving end of constantly being shot down. Um, that happened to me. And um, I had a, uh, a while ago, I had a, what I'll just call a narcissistic bully boss, right? And knows the story and <laughs> we talked about it quite frequently. Um, and at some point, um, two things that need to happen. One, I, I'm a firm believer in that phrase, um, life is 10% um, what happens to you, 90% how you react to it, right? So people can either be extremely negative and, and result in toxicity themselves um, or you can remain positive, um, invest in yourself, and um, because nobody else is going to do it for you, let's face it. Anne is correct and given the opportunities, but you still have to take the step. If nobody's given you the opportunities, that should not be stopping you from taking the investment on yourself, right? Investing in yourself. And that's what I decided to do when I had gone through the Certified Public Safety Executive Program. It was at that time that I realized that I did not need to settle. So I will say that um, again to everybody out there, you do not need to settle. This is, this is your life, this is your career, this is your investment into your future. Um, and is it, is it worth going into work every day, feeling constantly shut down or shot down, um, feeling constantly negative about the, because of uh, what's going on or the surroundings or the leadership or what have you. We, we hear that phrase all the time. People don't leave jobs, they leave bosses, right? And it's actually okay to do if that is what works best for you. But make sure you're doing your due diligence before you do that. I spent almost two years doing, trying to do my due diligence before I finally realized that I, I am either going to commit to um, staying and working through it, or I'm going to commit to investing in myself and moving forward. And then um, the result is, <laughs> and actually, um, and I'm, I'm also a very spiritual person, so I also turned it over to God. And uh, and what happened was, I committed to leaving. Um, I said I, I need to find something else. I'm not feeling my purpose being fulfilled, being under this leadership. Um, and as it turn ha turns out, that individual, that that person actually got terminated. Um, and because I had already, and a new leadership came in, who's wonderful, right? But because I had already committed to a new purpose, I also realized that that purpose was leading me to where I am today. And so I still I still took the leap, right? Sarah loves when I say, feel the fear and do it anyway. It's not going to be easy, but you have to embrace that fear. You have to feel it and you have to walk through it because you never, you never know until you try, right? You have to take that risk. Um, it's well worth it. So true. So true. Mm -hmm. What about you, Melanie? Have you ever um, you had folks come to you with with proposals for change that have been successful or, or not? And, and why? Yeah. So one of the things that we struggle with here is is our staff is so large, kind of like Melissa's. Mm -hmm. So if, if you if you allow them the input, they have an expectancy that it's going to be used. Oh, interesting. And so when you have yeah. 20, 
40 various opinions for how to make change, of course, you cannot incorporate all of it. You just cannot. It's not feasible. It's not doable. And so you have to, to pick the common denominators for the changes that they want to implement. And so we have done a lot of those um, just in the last two years as far as pay is concerned. You know, we now have retention bonuses. We have signing bonuses. Um, they were able to change our, our new starting salary. And Melissa, I know I'm jealous of you, but ours is finally over 40,000 for starting pay, which is an incredible accomplishment considering five years ago, it was 29,000. Wow. Congratulations. That's incredible. Um, That's awesome. And you have to take the good with the bad. And so a lot of people, they don't think we're listening to them, but we have to look at the entire organization and not just like one, one of the four teams. Um, and so a lot of the teams themselves will incorporate things for their team that we certainly allow that wouldn't be able to do for the whole organization. Um, just things like that, because when you have a larger staff, it's very hard to incorporate everybody's idea. Right. So then, Anne, you're probably on the other side of that, right? So every little change probably makes a huge impact on your center. How do you deal with that? It does. It has, to, it has to be carefully planned out. I mean, I recently had to re, uh, revamp our EMD quality assurance program. Um, and, you know, even though I went through, I created this whole guide, I still didn't follow, you know, all of my steps and, you know, cut short the communication that could have happened, create, ended up creating some animosity from the staff, just kind of like, Oh, she's just looking for a way to get rid of us and, and had to do a lot of control afterwards or, or, or like repair afterwards, um, kind of repairing those relationships and having to have those hard conversations of like, listen, I'm not trying to get rid of anybody, but we have to have this in writing. And it's not me trying to exercise my, you know, my powers as a leader, because honestly, I don't want anybody to leave. We're, we're short staffed enough as it is. Um, but we also have to have that accountability um in terms of you know my career move i think you know melissa is one of the biggest people i talked to the whole time i was i leave do i leave do i stay do i go do i what do i do do i go for something completely different um you know i i was spinning out of control one day and i could you know emailed her and got called got called mm -hmm. a name <laughs> You want to just tell them the story, okay? <laughs> we want to give the tough love. This yes. is going to be a great lesson for everybody. It's super funny, right? Okay. So I'm at, I'm at the Nina conference one year, and I was just going to make a cameo appearance. I had a, a quick session to do, but I had a lot of, I had just started here in cabs, like literally a month, and I had a, a lot to do. So I, I brought work with me, obviously. And I, I had grabbed a Starbucks coffee and I sat down in a little lounge chair with my my uh, surface and I get a call from Ann and um, she's like, I really need to talk to you. Are you busy? And so, well, she texted first. And anyway, I called her and she said, I'm going to send you an email. I'm on a ledge and, and I'm just I'm going to send you this email. And I said, oh, OK, so she sent it and I'm reading it. And then she's like, I'm going to have to go and I, I, I have to go handle something. I'm going to call you right back. And I, I said, uh, uh, OK, because <laughs> uh, I'm like in the middle of reading this email when she said that and I'm reading and I'm like, I'm scrolling on my phone. It's a really long email, it's a long email. 
So she calls me back and she's like, did you read it? And I said, Ann, did, did you send this email? <laughs> she's like, no, I, I wanted you to read this first. And I said, don't send this email. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you some tough love right here. Okay. I'm going to use tough love. Now I cannot curse. All right. Part of yes. my curse. Yes, I'm going to say, okay. And put your big girl panties on and delete this freaking email and handle your business. I'm paraphrasing, but basically I'm like, don't you freaking dare send this email. What just, and suck it up. Right. Tough love. And it worked because now she's in a brand new place. <laughs> it did. And I think the, the biggest thing there was I was in my feelings and I was mm. feeling them and I was letting them take over the rational part of my brain that said, don't send this email. It was, you know, I was, in Melissa's words, a whiny little bitch. Um, <laughs> Those were the words. Yes, that was, that was the word. You're right. I forgot. I will never forget. But that, that was the tough love I needed. That was what I needed to hear that day was just like, listen, stop whining, put on your big girl panties on and go handle this. Go make sure that you have a conversation and handle it as you should handle it as an adult. Um, and, and, you know, like that just helped me so much that day. And, and even going forward, like when I write my emails now, I'm like, Am I being a whiny little bitch? Because if I am. <laughs> you got to put your whiny bitch filter on. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But it helped me even like with, you know, things to do with my family now. If I have to text my mom, am I, am I whining as opposed to, you know, am I asking for something? Am I, am I being not confrontational, but am I being assertive enough? Am I asserting myself? Am I showing that I am an adult and I'm not, I don't need to be treated as a kid. So a lot of times we don't know how to navigate that. And for us as women, I think it's even harder because we have so much emotion and there is so much emotion that goes into everything that we do. And then you get to a point where you're pressed against the wall and you're just like, I just need to let it all out. But it might not be the best way of doing it, and it might be whiny, and it might be bitchy, and it might not be a good combination at all. <laughs> I will say though, it's a. Oops, sorry. Go ahead, Melissa. Oh, no, you go ahead. I was just gonna say, you know, I think we've often, us women, um, had to find the balance between that, right? Sitting with our emotions and being looked at as being weak because of our emotions. So I do, I love that you could, you had a person to bounce that off of to say, what side of that line am I on? Have I, have I unpacked with my emotions? Which it sounds like you were about that point. Um, and Melissa told you to pack that, you know, pack that stuff back up. Um, <laughs> but Light it on fire. But also it is okay to sit with your emotions and, and understand them. I, I Leaving 911 for me and joining the thought of leaving 911 for me was the scariest thought in the world. I'm like, I who leaves their job in 911? First of all, this is you know, I'm always gonna have a job, I'm always gonna have you know, uh, you know, pay and benefits. And I it brought about so many emotions that I was so afraid of facing because I didn't want to seem weak or like I was just troubled through the process. And I'm so grateful for having people that um, I could call and bounce ideas off of. Karima Holmes 
um, up in DC is my friend and mentor. And I remember talking to her one day and she asked me, she's like, Andrea, what's the absolute worst thing that could happen? Because, and I gave her a dissertation on all of the worst things that ended with me being homeless and living in like the <laughs> And she's like, no, <laughs> the absolute worst thing that can happen is you don't like it. And then what do you do? You go back to 911 because you know you have that skill set. You know you can always do that. And I'm like, oh. So she's like, so let's let's bring in the drama a little bit. <laughs> but we need that sometimes, right? To make sure that we're still on the, the positive side of that line of dealing with our emotions. Yes. I think I think that's hysterical, first off, because Karima, no wonder why she can't always answer texts and phone calls immediately. It's not just because she's in charge of OUC, it's because she has all of it's us. us. <laughs> Us collectively. I literally was just gonna tell you a story about when I called Karima <laughs> for a piece of advice. But I think between what Anne said and what you what um you Andrea said, it's it's the whole point, ladies is and men, um, you have to have a support system. Nobody expects us to make all the decisions all the time. Mind you, okay, we have to make a decision. We're not afraid to make a decision, okay? But I always tell um, my team is if one, if you don't have to make an immediate decision right away, you need to sleep on it. And to sleep on it to me is yes, literally sleep on it, but also call your colleague, call you know, like bounce it off of each other. I'm very fortunate that I have a phenomenal um, senior leadership team. My deputy directors and I get along famously. Um, if anybody's familiar with Blue Bloods, I, I'm, I'm Frank and they're my command team. Um, literally every single one of them has a nickname. Uh, from the, the show Blue Bloods, but that's another story. So I'm very fortunate that we have a ton of different perspectives on my senior leadership team. But I also call Anne. I've called Karima. I've, I've called my friend Jeremy. I mean, like I, I, it's it's needed. Okay, that's number one. You have to have um, your, your folks to bounce things off of. Number two, it's okay to make a decision today and change it tomorrow. Yes. Yes. So that's... There's, there's, well, my mom has a saying that there's no decision made today that can't be changed tomorrow. And that's very true. And I, and here's where my conversation with Karima came into play several months ago, because I had made an operational decision um, that was, it was, it was right. I stand by the decision at the time, but then two months later, as, as we're getting into the weeds a little bit more, and I'm realizing that this and hearing from the people, like really hearing from the people for a solid two months, that this may not be the best decision for them. And as we adopted more of the people over process, I mean, we have to um, we have to operate and we have to operate with integrity and service. That, that goes without saying. But if I can do something to make it a little bit easier for them to operate in integrity and service, then I'm going to do that. And so I called her because I honestly even just you know, six, seven, eight months ago was still a little fearful of coming across as weak if I make a decision. And then I, I change it two months later. And this was a big operational decision. And she was she, like, just look at the split. She was like, heck no. She's like, if it worked for you two months ago, but you know, you've assessed things for two months and it turns out to not be working, you make a new decision. You're not going back on an old one. You're making a new decision. And I'm like, it's like, it's so simple. I should have thought of it. But that's why that's why you have mentors. That's why you have a network. That's why you have colleagues. You have to bounce things off of each other. It sounded so simple when she said it. And that's how I want my supervisor team to understand, too. If you make a decision today and you change it tomorrow because of new information or something that's just not working or you slept on it, 
that's perfectly okay and acceptable. That's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of great strength. Mm -hmm. Yes. So one of the part of change too. Go ahead, Anne. One of the biggest things I've learned when making institutional change or things that we make within our our centers is to always propose a pilot period. Mm -hmm. Like I always frame things as a pilot period. Hey, can we do this for three months and see how it goes? And then I can evaluate the impact, and I can, you know, we can go back and have discussions. Um, we did this with Wireless Direct. I mean, like I said, we dispatch for six different communities so we take calls for six different towns all sur surrounded by you know different highways and stuff and, and that was the biggest fear of my staff was that we were gonna get stuck with all of those highway calls mm -hmm. and you know i here i had the now one department telling me no we're not gonna get stuck with those we're gonna gis those out and blah blah, blah. and i'm like okay so finally i came to the staff and i said can we do a pilot can we do a pilot for three months and if it doesn't work then we'll pull it back we didn't have to sign on it, it didn't have to be yes or no. We could do a trial period. So with those things that you can do a trial period for, do a trial period for. And and like Melissa said, don't be afraid to go back and say, well, maybe this didn't work. Because at the end of those three months, I was going to have to evaluate it and say, no, the call volume is too much for my staff and they can't do it. Or I was going to be able to say, no, it worked out. And, and thankfully, it did work out. But I was ready to go back and say, well, we, we might need to wait on this a little more. Yeah. Sarah, I know we're gonna move on to like personal change and personal life, but something that that brought up for me is um, I come from a large 911 center. We had, you know, our leadership was 20 supervisors, 20 operations supervisors, four managers, and a director. And um, so, when any type of change was being rolled out, there was a lot of buy-in that had to be derived from so many different places. And one of the things that always frustrated me as I was, as I was, you know, on the front line before I entered leadership, and then when I became a leader and, and then I was experiencing this from my peers, is when change was being rolled out and my peers would say, you know, management has decided we're doing this. It's a, it's a death sentence for that change rollout because you are a part of management, right? Your supervisors are a part of that management team. And by saying, well, the leaders decided to do this, you're taking you're taking your buy-in away from it. So now your people are thinking, well, if you don't believe in it, then why should I believe in it? So it's, in part, it's important for everybody in that leadership that's part of that change rollout, that change management process to be on board and own it. Um, I'm learning, I, I recently learned our, in, at Carbine, my, um, his name's Alex, he's our, um, VP of product. He told me um, to read this article that um, Jeff Bezos did where he talked about um, disagreeing but committing. And you may not agree with whatever it is that your leader has decided to roll out, but you have an obligation to commit to it if that's the charge, right? We don't get to be a house divided. And mm -hmm. it, we certainly shouldn't be in 911 where we have to make sure we're on the same team at all times. So I appreciate the opportunity to voice my opinion. My boss is in this um, session right now and he will tell you, I voice my opinion often, <laughs> but when it's time to roll out whatever we're doing, I'm rolling it out and I'm giving it hundred percent. So as leaders um, at whatever level of leadership you're on, um, you're in, you have to commit to whatever change your leader is rolling down and then roll with them. If it's a situation like Melissa, you just talked about where we're changing gears in two months, adapt. Adaptability is huge in change management. All right. So this is why it didn't work 
we're going to change and we're going to shift gears and go this direction. Okay, what do we need to do? And, um, you know, that is what's going to drive buy-in from your your front line when they see that you believe in the change, when you can champion the change. That is so true, Andrea. And when you can listen to their feedback that results in a, a new change, right? Yes. Yeah. That's yes. good stuff. Hey, wait, who's your boss? <laughs> Brett Wren. Brett Wren. Okay, Brett. <laughs> Oh, the Brett Brett that Brett stood you up. I heard he stood you up, Melissa. The Brett. <laughs> Brett Wren's one of my children, y'all. Don't be talking about my son. Uh, I heard he stood <laughs> Melissa up. <laughs> oh, my word. I can hear, oh, my word. He did. He stood me up. It's okay, Brett. I still love you. Uh, I, I got to listen to, to Alex for an hour, and I'm sorry. This might be appropriate to say live, but... I could listen to that man all day long. He just has the best accent ever. <laughs> so it's okay, Brett. I, tell him sorry, that. You're forgiven. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, poor Brett. He's like, I'm never coming to one of these again. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when you show up, Brett. <laughs> okay, we have a couple of minutes left. So um, talking, we're just going to talk briefly about personal change or change in your career. I know um, all of you have, have been through something like that. It's so funny. I was just talking to Joyce and Jenny. Today, uh, December 12th, is it's, it's been exactly two years since I left my full-time position uh, to focus on doing this. And this would not you know, be here if I hadn't made that like, hugely, hugely scary scary decision and sometimes i i still make myself sick like how did i do that um <laughs> which i don't i don't know but um how i guess when it comes to to um personal or career change it's um for me i've kind of felt like i needed to borrow other people's strength sometimes to do it which is you know we've talked about um having community that's one of the reasons i started wonder woman in the, in the beginning um, anyway, so that we could find our, our people and learn from them. But um, how ha how have you navigated your own personal change? What is uh, one piece of advice you would give to people? Um, I have had a lot of change, personal, professional, in the last year, year and a half. Um, I left my job and started a new career. I got married. I inherited bonus babies. Um, you know, there's so many things that come with all of that. And um, the thing that I am working on currently is, and I think I will forever have to work on this because um, it, it's to give myself grace because we can be so mean to ourselves. Ugh. We are the worst to ourselves. <laughs> if I ever talk to another person the way that I talk to myself, I would be disgusted. <laughs> and so, true. so I'm trying to learn how to give myself grace, um, understanding that it's really just one day at a time, one step at a time in some cases, and learning the ebb and flow of everything, of motherhood, of being a wife, of being a professional in the private, you know, um, corporate world. And, um, and some days are better than others. Some days are really not great. But to show myself grace and, and all that I, I do. I recently just had my one year anniversary of Carbine. And I sat and some of you might've seen my posts on um, yes. LinkedIn or Facebook. And 
it was long and it may have it, when i reread it i'm so grossed out because it's kind of braggy but <laughs> oh girl no you you brag but i am so yourself. proud of myself i am so proud of me and so the, while giving myself grace i'm trying to learn how to celebrate myself as well yes um, Melanie, I just have always seen you as such like a mover and a shaker and a doer yes. and an adapter. Like what, what is your secret? <laughs> Give us, let us into your head a little bit because I've just, I've always admired about, you're always doing such, it seems like such grace, you know, from the, from the outside looking in. Well, I appreciate amazing. You, that. <laughs> I, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, I decided, um, five years ago when I lost my father that, um, I was in a marriage that I had been in for 24 years and um, my ex-husband took every chance to make fun of me. And he always did it in a joking way, you know, when we were out in public, but it infuriated me. And so when my daddy died, I decided that, um, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, 24 years is a long time to tolerate that. And um, so we separated ways and the hardest part was me telling my mom. And so, but, but her first words were, well, I'm glad you didn't do it in 2003 when you first talked about it. So that's how long I had been unhappy. Wow. And so then I met this amazing man who is now my husband. Who's that? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, West is a wonderful man and um, he is, he understands where I'm coming from. He knows all of that history. Um, and so I, I just, I try to let others know that it's okay to finally rid yourself of something that for me was a long time in the making. Um, but I have two wonderful children. Um, you know, both of my children are absolutely fantastic. And so that's the, the part for me that I always give myself grace because I have fantastic children. And so, um, it was very hard leaving that long-term marriage, but I knew when I lost my daddy that I had to do it. I had to do it for him because I never let him know that that's how I was being treated. Um, and we should not hide things like that from, from people that care about us. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot from doing that. We should not hide it because they really do care. Mm -hmm. That's heavy, man. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, I've experienced that like, kind of loss that makes you go, it just, mm -hmm. it just brings something out. And when you lose something so, so precious, mm -hmm. it's just a whole different perspective and kind of realizing that death is just like right over here, you know, it's like right on the other side. It's not something far, far away. And, and to Andrea's point, um, Mr. Brett ran this in this panel when my family was coming out of the church when my daddy died, Brett was one of the first ones in line. Aww. I think yes. why so much. Sweet. <sighs> Thank yeah. you for sharing that. <laughs> and what about you? I think it's all about support, right? Do you have that support in your life? And, you know, for me, it's it's my husband, it's my sisters, it's Melissa, it's Sarah. <laughs> um, it's having those people behind you that can help you grow and, and, and can hold on to you when you're you know, kind of free falling and trying that new thing that you thought, you know, you were never going to do. I mean, 
uh, for me this year, it's just been crazy. I got reelected vice president of our Mass, Mass Nina uh, chapter, and then I got elected as first vice president of the Afco Atlantic chapter. So then there's like so, and then I'm still trying to make Mass Win work, right? Like trying to get everything into into place, and and it's just like getting pulled in so many directions while never forgetting that, you know, I have a kid who's a cheerleader that I need to be at games for. And I have another one who runs 5Ks, who's nine years old and is doing 5Ks. And I'm like, oh, oh my, my gosh, <laughs> when am I gonna do this? Um, but it's really having that support. I mean, I have two younger sisters who, you know, support me immensely. They, they're a phone call away. I need somebody to pick up the girls or I need something. You know, my husband is the same way if I tell him I can't do pickups today or I can't do drop-offs. So it works for us. It, it's a busy life. It's a crazy life, but it's it works for us for now. And it, it, I feel like if, it, in a couple of years, if I decide that it doesn't work anymore, then it doesn't work anymore. And I, it's okay to quit things, too. It's okay to say no. Listen, I talk about this all the time. It's it's okay to say no to things, and it's okay to say not this time, not, not the right time. Um, but really like pick the things that you love and run with them and it's it works. Yeah. Say it again. It's okay to say no. <laughs> I was just about to repeat it too, Melissa. Yes, not, no is a complete sentence, right, Ooh, Melissa? No is a complete and sentence. And Andrea, yep. No so is a complete that last sentence. Last week on the Empower panel, that was uh, Dr. Lily. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, Melissa, please leave us leave us with the final word of <laughs> final word of wisdom. If you I, I have a, well, I don't know, we could be here for longer than an hour, but um, I, very, very similar. I mean, I was in New York when I, I wasn't just talking about when I left the city of Roswell to come to Cobb County, but what, I was in New York for the majority of my career for the, um, you know, a good 20 years of my career, and it was my home. Um, I was born and raised in New York. My family was there. Um, I do have family here in Georgia as well, but um, it was, you know, I got out of a, a narcissistic relationship. Um, and it's only about now, um, seven years later that I'm just about ready. I, I would consider myself healed from that narcissistic relationship. Um, that was also a time when I found out that I, I actually, I, I don't generally share this too much, but I'm going out on the full vulnerability limb here. Um, but I found out that I couldn't have children. So I was going through a lot of um, grief process um if you're on my facebook you know that my dog joey is the most photographed do dog on facebook and he is my baby in every sense of the word so mm -hmm. i couldn't have human children um so i realized then between a career that i felt like and i love new york but you know being civil service it's not there wasn't a whole lot of career path for me i left there as a training manager um, and that's really where i started my teaching side of my now one career and I, and I loved that and I was supported by my boss, but there was still, there was still a cap on things, right? And it was gonna take a really long time. So retirement was forever away. And I said, this, this isn't just, I, I, need a, I need a new life. I need a new journey. I need something, um, you know, so I prayed about it and I, I was just being called to a, to a whole new world. And um, when I got, it was very interesting because we were going live with a tri-tech cat. I will never forget this. Um, and I, uh, my best friend who lives here in Georgia sent me a link to the Roswell director job. Um, and I was, I was, I literally had just gone into my office to have a quick bite to eat. And I, and I did like a, I had my resume all up to date. Cause at that point I had committed to keeping my options open. I didn't know where I was going to end up. Um, but I was looking. So 
And I did the, you know, the quick click, click, click through and I uploaded my resume and, and bada bing, it was done. That's an Italian term. I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> um, Speak that language. It, was, it wasn't until after I hit submit that I saw the salary um, range and I thought, oh, well, like if I had seen that first, I would never have submitted it. So, you know, got, there, there's a plan out there for everybody. So they called me the next day. And I told him I was very kind. I'm like, thank you so much. I'm like, my, you know, my friend sent it to me, but I didn't see the salary range until after I submitted and, I, and it's just not going to be a, a good salary range for me. And he's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> That's just the advertised price. We're really interested in you. The position had been open for 10 months. They loved my resume and they're like, let's talk. And the rest is history. You know, so the Roswell director job was really where I was able to get, um, is to just launch way further into the 901 community um, as a director and do all sorts of fun leadership stuff. And, um, you know, went through certified public safety executive and I got my master's degree, all that good stuff. I'm very, very grateful to the city of Roswell. I experienced that bully boss for about a year. I miss you guys too, Haley. Best training coordinator out there, by the way, Haley in city of Roswell. Um, I brought her on, I'm just throwing that out there. But anyway. Um, <laughs> It was, I, I'm very, the, what I experienced in Roswell was incredible. Um, I, that short year, I had that bully boss and then had decided to take the leap over um, to Cobb. And then, you know, that person was let go. Anyway, the leap from New York to Atlanta was an incredible, incredible change. Um, and I was very fearful, but everything, it was like the path was just being created and I just trusted it. I just trusted it. Um, I left my mom, who's my best friend. You know, she's she's still up there. I mean, she's here for the holidays, but bless her heart, she's 81. So I try and see her as much as possible as I can throughout the year. But that was not an easy thing to do. And I'm so, so grateful that I decided to do it. So if any, if 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 we can leave you with nothing else, and I know this was not the Feel the Fear presentation, but I'm going to say it again. Let's Feel do the it. Fear. Feel the fear and, and do it anyway. You owe it to yourself. Yes. Oh, thank you all so, so, so much. This has been amazing. And I really appreciate you all sharing your personal experience with us. It's it's going to help someone just like um, you're talking about Desmond, who, who heard something at an APCO conference. I really, really believe that sharing our stories is going to help others. So thank you. Thank you all for doing that. Um, happy holidays, everyone. We'll be back in, in January with our next panel. But thank you for being here. Yep. Love thank you all. You. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.